I gotta watch now. Watch my safe. Oh, it's recording. Isn't that nice? Yes. Um, so welcome to an episode of Ridiculous Beatles. Po- oh, sorry. I I know. I know. A solo Beatles podcast where we talk all things solo Beatles. I'm your host Hudson Ranny. Um, today we have a very special guest. Um, you didn't he- tell me anyone was coming. <laughs> well, he's he is my favorite Darren, and he's also the funniest Darren I know. You um, know, I I found another Darren DeVivo on Facebook. <laughs> I just thought I'd share that with you, but. Anyway, as you were, as you were saying, well, there's only one real Darren DeVivo. Let's be thankful for that. (laughs) Um, So he is the longtime host of the the 10 o'clock to 2 a.m., currently 10 to midnight, Monday through Thursday, host on WFUV and on Saturdays at 1 to 4. He is also a co-host of my favorite Beatles podcast, Things We Said Today. Cute. And he um, is an obsessive Mets fan and a Jets fan. Oh, please. Yeah. Have mercy on me. Please. <laughs> God, what a horrible yeah. time. Darren, welcome to, back to the show. Thanks so much for, for having me on. I was very excited to when you asked me. I'm desperate. I need somebody. Would you please? You're my last resort. So I said, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm kidding. No, thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, it's all it's always great to have a laugh on the show. It's always just great to have a guest. <laughs> Cause I, I don't like recording shows on my own. I I can't talk for that long. I can't be Sam Wiles. Yeah. <laughs> Interview yourself. <laughs> yeah. So Hudson, um, what's the weather outside? I can have multiple personalities. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Darren, how how's it going in the Bronx? Uh it is going uh it's going all right. Um things are good here in uh New York City, not if you're a Mets fan or Jets fan. Um uh, but anyway, I can't complain. I always do. Things at WFUV are going really well. The radio station just recently reopened its doors. And what is the freaky thing about this whole, for me, and probably for many folks, this whole pandemic, is the concept of being away from, in this case, my office in the studios for a year and a half. You know, And I still remember the day in March, third week in March, 2020 last year, you know, we had this very strange disease in the air and, you know, people were retreating to their homes, which seemed, what, you know, how can we do this? How, what, what, we're going to stay home? And leaving the office, having no clue that I'd be gone for a year and a half. Uh, And maybe I thought, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get a week off. From coming in, you know, two weeks, we'll definitely be back here in two weeks, right? Um, so we're finally reopening the doors to WFUV studios and offices now, uh, gradually from the late late July and into September. And uh, so it's, uh, it's very strange. I physically haven't been back yet. I will be going back very soon, but I have been sent pictures of my desk and it is m- 
very weird to look at your desk and go, had I known I wouldn't be back for a year and a half, I would have straightened it out a little bit because there's things that I actually remember leaving there. Like, Oh, when I come back Monday, I'll deal with this. And, but, um, I'm sure there's still crumbs from your chips. There probably is. There probably is actually, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a half finished diet Coke somewhere behind my computer screen. Uh, but uh, yeah, things are good there at FUV. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, I'm on the air Monday through Thursdays, 10 p.m. to midnight and uh, Saturdays, 1 to 4. And uh, for those outside of the New York City area, WFUV.org is where you can listen or download our app and listen on that. And, uh, if you are in New York City, our signal has a little, it, some issues with parts of Southern New York City, parts of Brooklyn, Staten Island, parts of uh, New Jersey. Um, uh, when you're going, say, uh, cities like Elizabeth and South, you can always stream. But most of the New York City metropolitan area, no problem picking us up at 90.7 FM. So, uh, so that's the deal with me. Awesome. And how's, how's things we said today going? You haven't broken anybody's computer screen. No, um, we're doing really well. Things are going great with the show. We were going to record our next one on uh, Monday. And uh, the last show we talked about, uh, and it was my idea, one day I was just listening to Pipes of Peace, and the album ends with Through Our Love. And Pipes of Peace isn't one of my favorite McCartney albums. Oh, I hate albums. that album. <laughs> I hate the strong word. It is, I think, amongst his weakest. Uh, but through our love, it like struck me as it's a top five. Yeah, it's song. a hell of an out finale to this album. And then I'm thinking, you know, McCartney was very good with stuff like that because I always felt warm and beautiful. Had such a an impact. Closing wings at the speed of sound and baby's request on back to the egg. And it got me thinking, how many of these could we do a show on, you know, great closing songs on an album, um, whether they be quirky enough that they may left a strange impression, like, or, or, or changed your perception of the album, like maybe anything from Her Majesty to Goodnight or Karina Kaur from McCartney yeah. or something that was obvious, like A Day in the Life or... 1985 from from band on the run so that became uh we talked through the ideas around and that's the most recent show that you can listen to now of things we said today we have a plan in place for the next show and my goodness i i don't remember what it is so i have to go uh kind of dig up the email before we record on monday <laughs> got a got a prep last minute <laughs> there's been a few of those what are we talking about again today you're on the air yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm like, and I look today and I'm like, I look, you know, yesterday and I'm like, oh boy, tomorrow's the 17th. I'm talking with Darren. <laughs> We're talking about Butterfinger. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you know, when you when, when you said, hey, I'm looking to do a Badfinger show, I was like, I, you know, I'd love to chat about Badfinger, who I've loved from the minute I heard Come and Get It for the first time and I wasn't even five years old, you know, and um, the first interview I ever did uh, in person 
was with Joey Molland in 1987. Um, one of my more embarrassing interview moments took place during that interview because uh, this is 1987 and this is about four years after Tom Evans died. Yeah. So Tom, Tom Evans' death, right? He died in 83. Yeah, something like yeah. that. It was four years later. Tom Evans' death didn't really get much media attention. I mean, everybody know, who's into Badfinger knows Pete Ham and that situation. I didn't know Tom Evans had died. Um, so we're doing the interview, and I was curious about why it was Joey and it was Mike Gibbons, and there's no Tom Evans. Oh. Joey was really cool about it. He was like, you know, Tom, I'm sorry to say passed away back in 83. And he, he explained, he says, it didn't get, he says, you're not the first person to have wondered this because Tom's death, for some reason, didn't get much attention in the media. And really, Badfinger at that point was off the radar, people's radar. So um, he handled it really well. It was very cool. And uh, I did this. <laughs> this one was a little, this was more difficult. So just to get off the topic for one second, I did, I did the same thing with um, one of the nicest people I've ever interviewed and a brilliant musician, Richie Havens, who I interviewed a bunch of times. Uh, and I wish I could remember the name of the musician, the member of Quicksilver Messenger Service who had passed away. I could look it up here while I'm talking. Um, but Richie had come up to WFUV uh, for an interview. I think it was going to be live. And he showed up and I was on the air at the time at 10 a.m. And the way it was set up, he was going to be on the air pretty close to 10, probably because he had scheduling issues. So if he was going to be available, it was going to be a late morning. He had a new album uh, that he had just put out we were going to talk about. And uh, earlier in the morning uh, comes the announcement that, let's see, I think it was when Dino Valenti died. That sounds about right. I believe it was Dino Valenti, but this is 94. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been a number of the members of Quicksilver Messenger Service have passed, but the years don't seem to match. Uh, so it was Dino Valenti. It had to be. Um, he died. Richie hadn't heard. I had heard, uh, actually, 1994, I was on the air. I was still doing morning, so I was finished with my show at 10 a.m. And then we were, I guess, going to record. Okay, that was the deal. We were going to record an interview. Uh, and he was up for 10, and I had just heard. I think I played Quicksilver Messenger Service that morning to, as a, in memory of Dino Valenti. And mentioned to Richie Havens it's such so sad to hear what you know and Richie like was stunned and clearly upset because he hadn't heard anything uh and it kind of took him a little while to kind of get gather himself and I felt like this big um but he was a pro and we knew each other already and I didn't know that he wouldn't have known, so or wouldn't have mentioned anything. Um, so, but worked out fine. But it was that was another that was another uh, moment where if I could have crawled underneath the table, um, uh, I can tell you mine. Um, so I was interviewing uh, 
Gary Van Soik, who's seriously like the world's nicest person. Oh yeah, Gary's and a great guy. Eva, his wife, is wonderful too. And we were talking about the Yoko, and I said, asked, because I'm not super familiar with the Yoko stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of, and I was tired, and I said, was John there during the sessions? Then he was like, well, he was producing. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing worse than being prepared for an interview, except there's maybe one bit of info you just didn't find yeah. out about beforehand. Um. Yeah, he actually, uh, a couple of times I've met him at Beetlefest, Gary, get this Gary Van Syok uh, from Elephant's Memory, uh, loved working with uh, John and Yoko and sp- spoke very highly about uh, Approximately Infinite Universe, that album, um, and what a great record he thought it was. And I went back then, this was at Beetlefest, and this was probably like somewhere around maybe 10 years ago or something, I went back and said, you know, I got to give this album a listen again, uh, Approximately Infinite Universe, because I got it on vinyl. It's back in the, you know, you got to go get through the, you know, cut through the wheat fields to get to the back of my record cabinets where that stuff is and, you know, uh, slay a few dragons. And I haven't listened to the album in eight years, so. I'm sure your breath could slay a few dragons. <laughs> <laughs> nice, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I had to do that. Sorry. Well, you did it now, and it's bad finger time. So, on we go. So, bad finger. When did you, you know, first become a fan? Like, how? We know you were in diapers because that's been covered on things we said today many times. I'm in diapers now. What's the no? Uh, I remember when Come and Get It was brand new and was getting played on the radio and it came out in the U.S. in January, early January, 70. And I was still four years old. And that's kind of like, because I've always been amazed at how um, I have very vivid memories of some great hit songs and finding out about the Beatles, all centered around 69 and 70. And uh, Come and Get It, it was a very clear memory um, of he must have heard it on the radio and thought enough to say, hey, mom, buy me that record. Buy me this record. Um, and physically having it and seeing Apple, the Apple and McCartney's name on the label. Um, the connection then was like solid for, as it would be for the rest of my life. Badfinger, Beatles, McCartney, come and get it. Um, and it just, of course, come and get it is one of the great pop songs of all time, power pop songs. Um, so I was there from, from almost pretty much day one of them breaking here in the United States. And, and then later in the year, uh, no matter what, flipped me out. Um, and I got that single. And then day after day, knocked me out. And I had that 45. So, you know, Badfinger's always been very near and dear to my heart from practically day one for me. And uh, and then it was, I guess, appropriate that the first time I would uh, do an interview with a musician, albeit incredibly amateurish compared to now, uh, was was a member of Badfinger, was Joey Mullen. And was that the only time? And were you like, were you a fanboy then? Were you like, oh my God, 
and you, ha you had like all six bad finger records in your hand and I, you were like, sign it, sign it. No and yes. <sighs> yes and no. Fanboy, sort of. Uh, didn't bring my albums with me. Um, um, and also you got to figure that at this point, 87, I'm in one of, you know, it's like my, I've only been on the radio a couple of years. And back at that time, WFUV was a college station. I was a student at Fordham University. No clue about what the future had for me. You know, I had no clue, not even, I didn't even know what a public radio station was, which is what WFUV was going to become. So this was all new. Everything about radio, DJing, interviewing was all new to me. So Joey was my first in-person interview. So yeah, there was a bit of fanboy thing going on. You know, this is the guy that, you know, I've been hearing from when I was four years old and uh, this is Joey because there was some there was um, some writing credits on some of the releases would just have their first names, which I always thought was the coolest thing. You know, Joey, Tom, Pete, Mike. That's it. Yeah, I think it was um, probably like the the No Dice single. Not No, that's the album. Uh, the No Matter What single. I think they just kind of use first names. And here I am sitting with Joey, the Joey. So. I unfortunately didn't cross paths with him again for many, 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 many years until, um, you know, probably about six, seven years ago at, at Beetlefest. And I'm not sure he remembered. I don't blame him so many years. It, I don't think he remembered me and I was never able to kind of set something else up with him. Um, but, uh, you know, my connection with Joey and then of course hearing come and get it from when it was a brand new single um you know knocked me out I don't think I understood the concept of you know why Paul McCartney's name was on the record label if it was Badfinger then Paul McCartney's name's here as a you know under the title as a producer I don't think I understood that what the you know how that worked um, but it didn't matter. It was Apple. It was a great song. And, uh, you know, as I got older and learned more, I started getting the albums, all of the albums, a couple of bootlegs here and there. So, uh, you know, I think they are the preeminent power pop band uh, of all time. I love the band Big Star. And a lot of people will say Big Star uh, is it when it comes to power pop. And, yeah, they're it. But Badfinger first. I've always felt the Badfinger still to this day is underappreciated. Uh, people who know, the, who know them and even know them a little bit get it. But there's still a lot of people who might say, talk about a big star or a band like Raspberries and not mention Badfinger. And I'm like, oh, time out. Badfinger first. Because yeah. this band was... I think the best power pop band um, that there was. They are probably the most underrated band of all time. Yeah, and, and it's actually I had heard I don't think it'll ever happen and I don't remember why it hasn't happened, but I've heard talk about their story being turned into a motion picture. That would be incredible. And I don't even think you need to know who Badfinger is if done right. 
that would be one hell of a movie. Um, uh, but I, I, I think that there is, you know, there's probably too much politics and red tape to have to sort through to have something like that work out and have, you know, the estate of the late members and Joey Molland uh, kind of get on the same page with something like that. But that's a motion picture meant meant to be uh, to be made like fleet like the fleetwood map yeah yeah uh yeah there's a there's a bunch of them now uh yeah. you know these motion pictures loosely based on these real you know um but most recently you've got uh rocket man i wasn't uh, a fan of that movie i was yeah i'm an elton john fanatic I liked Rocket Man a lot, but it, it was a lot that I wasn't crazy about. Um, you know, and even what Bohemian Rhapsody is the name of the Queen movie, is it not? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's another one that I thought was really good, not great, close to great. Uh, you know, it, you know, Badfinger's waiting to be turned into a movie, the Badfinger story. I think Fleetwood Mac needs to be a movie. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It could be a movie about, I mean, there, there'd there be a lot of, <laughs> I mean, but Fleetwood Mac is basically, you know, just a band sleeping together. <laughs> well, most of the members are. I thought of, anyway, never mind. I don't think John and Lindsay have. <laughs> well, you, you never know. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not making rumors up and don't. I'm just making a funny um oh, so anyway that, back to badfinger that was a good pun rumors ah very nice there you go i didn't even know i said that oh. but um if you want to know a little background on badfinger yeah um you know they they were originally called the ivies these are things i'm talking that i know you know pretty much everything yeah. uh but for the sake of those of you watching and listening <laughs> The Badfinger were the Ivies, and not, not at the very beginning they were. They came together in 61 um, and were out of Swansea, Wales. And, you know, as happens with a lot of bands, you got a bunch of guys, you know, maybe a, maybe a drummer comes and goes, or you have a different keyboard player for a week, and then that changes, and the names change. By 1964, they had settled in on the name the Ivies, and the members um, that were there back then and from day one were Pete Ham and Ron Griffiths. Pete played guitar, Ron Griffiths played bass, Pete sung, Ron sung. They had a guy named uh, Di Jenkins in the band. And I think their first drummer was Roy Anderson, I think his name was. That sounds about right. So that was the very, very, very beginning stages when they were becoming the Ivies. And then Mike Gibbons joined in uh, 65 and uh, they fired Di Jenkins uh, in 67 and brought Tom Evans in. Um, and so the pieces now were in place. Pete Ham, Tom Evans, Mike Gibbons and Ron Griffiths, their manager is Bill Collins. Bill Collins got you know, got Mal Evans and Peter Asher from Apple to come see the Ivies play in uh, 19, early 68, I think it was. And uh, Mal Evans and uh, Mal Evans especially really liked what he heard. 
and convinced the four Beatles that, you know, we got to sign this band to this, this new label we have. And, um, and Badfinger, well, the Ivies, as they still were known, were signed to Apple in sometime in mid-68. And uh, it took time, though, for things to happen. I mean, almost from the very beginning, this was a band that had like a, like a hex on it. You would think as a new band, you're signed by the Beatles label. You're one of the first acts signed on Apple Records. It's the Beatles, it's their record label, and you're on the label. You know what I mean? It's th this is the ultimate. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I would die to be in that situation. Yeah, but it didn't actually really work that well for them because they, they cut an album and the song off the album, Maybe Tomorrow, came out as their first single. Love that song. And it's a great tune. Tom Evans wrote that. Um, but the single comes out and is a flop in the UK. Right. It didn't do much of anything in the US. It charted, but it was kind of um, not even, I, I mean, you can't even call it a hit. Uh, it did hit number one in some European countries. But the problem was Alan Klein came around to Apple Records at this point. And in trying to make sense out of the finances at Apple, one of the things he did was pretty much stop the lab record labels activities for a time. And that included shelving bad, <laughs> shelving the Ivy's album, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, because the single didn't catch on. The album did come out and it was called maybe tomorrow, like the, like the single. Uh, the album did come out in area in, 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 in regions where the single got some traction. And ultimately, the album, maybe tomorrow, only came out in West Germany, Japan, and I think Italy. That sounds uh, about right. Yeah, not in the US, not in the UK. And I think they just fell through the cracks. They got lost in the shuffle. And uh, Alan Klein, again, put the, the gabash on the album coming out initially. And once the song maybe tomorrow and didn't really catch on as a single the album was sort of out of sight out of mind it slipped through the cracks it never came out yeah and i think i read somewhere uh where it was ron griffiths i think who said he was a bit disappointed with the way they were being treated at apple um apple was a bit disorganized and whatnot and uh, they were kind of like getting you know lost in the shuffle if I remember, if I read something correctly, if I remember what I read, McCartney saw that. And Paul McCartney came to the band with Come and Get It and said, here, learn this song exactly as I wrote it. It'll be a hit for you. We'll get it in the movie, The Magic Christian. You could contribute a couple of your own original songs to the soundtrack. Uh, and that's what they did. And they record, they learned Come and Get It. Paul came in and produced the session. Paul basically told them everything that they needed uh, right. to know, uh, everything he wanted them to do. And he, uh, they delivered the song. And it was at that point that they fired Ron Griffiths. He's on, come and get it. You could hear him uh, singing harmonies, but Ron was gone uh, around, right after they recorded it. And they decided the name, the Ivies was, you know, we got to get a better name. Uh, I think there were some people that would actually make connections with the Hollies. Yeah. 
the Ivy. So they ditched Ivy's and they came up with Badfinger, which was the working title of what? I'm asking you. Oh, oh, I, Do you I know? know. No, you don't know. Uh, the working title of With a Little Help from My Friends was Badfinger Boogie. Really? I do not recall the reason why they threw that name on there just to identify the song while they were recording Sgt. Pepper. And I, somebody in Apple, could have been Neil Aspinall, somebody in Apple remembered and said, hey, how about, uh, you know, we had this, you know, Badfinger Boogie, boom, Badfinger stuck. That was their name. Come and Get It gets released as a single, first release under the new name. And it becomes their uh, first release, uh, their first hit, the breakthrough, not only in the US and the UK, but everywhere. Uh, and Badfinger had arrived. And not long after the single came out, Joey Molland came in uh, and joined the band. And Joey played lead with Pete Ham rhythm, although there were times Pete Ham played lead guitar. Tom Evans switched to bass. Um, and uh, the rest is history. Apple whipped together an album, Magic Christian Music. Most of Magic Christian Music was the, were, were tracks from the Maybe Tomorrow album, which were still unreleased in the US and the UK and many countries. So they were songs that were new uh, to people buying this album from Badfinger in 1970. Uh, the album was, was done right at the time when there was the lineup switch. So Joey Mullen's picture isn't even on the back cover. Right. It's, he's crazy. mentioned, but only uh, Mike Gibbons, Tom Evans, and Pete Ham's photos are on the back cover. But the liner notes mention the four of them, including Joey, who didn't play a note on the stuff that's on Magic Christian Music, which that then became, you know, for all intents and purposes for us, their debut album. Yeah. You know, um, and, I, and I'll hit the pause button here uh, for a few. Yeah. Um, thank you for talking. I, I think you're like, once you go, you don't stop. Um, yeah, I've been told that. But also there's plenty of times like tonight when we're finished. I'm probably not going to utter another word in the house tonight. Uh, probably because I'll be watching the Mets lose again tonight. And I'll be in such a foul mood that. But um but, uh, you know, it worked out for them. And, 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 and there, for Badfinger, you know, uh, they, um, when it was, wasn't going so great, now it was going fabulous. Apple, I don't think, was the greatest label when it came to promotion. No. Um, because as it turns out, we now look back in retrospect, Badfinger were, sold more records and were more popular in the U.S. than in their homeland. They were never an album band. Their albums sold well but nothing that earth shattering but they did have those four consecutive huge hit singles started with come and get it and then by the end of 70 um they did their first album under the bad finger name first album that we would, rec would record with joey in the band that was no dice the beetle connections remained because uh you know come and get it was written and produced by mccartney Mal Evans produced some of the stuff that ended up on Maybe Tomorrow and Magic Christian Music. The other producer was none other than Tony Visconti, who went on to work with Bowie and T-Rex. And, yeah. and Tony Visconti was married to Mary Hopkin for a while uh, out of the, during this period. Uh, and then No Dice was recorded, came out the end of 70, 
uh, in the US and um, Jeff Emmerich did a lot of the production on that. The former Beatle recording engineer, Mal Evans was around too, I believe, and another big hit, no matter what. This time it was one of their songs yeah. uh, coming off No Dice. So now they proved that they could come up with a hit and a hit that would do just about as well as one written by Paul McCartney. Uh, so no matter what is, we're going to talk songs in a little while. To me, that is a perfect power pop song. Um, it's just perfect, no matter what. And here's this, here's this little band that could um, in the Beatles shadow uh, coming up with songs as good as anything was being done in late 70. The, uh, the No Dice album is good. I thought it was always oh, a couple of like maybe eh, songs on it, but uh, they, you know, they, they, what they had uh, uh, coming in the way of quality uh, was really going to be special the next batch of things they did. You know, I don't want to monopolize here and just keep going until you know, our time runs out. I mean, you stop me when you want to. So I think we should talk about our two favorite albums now. Yeah, sure. So number two, for you what is number two for you straight up which would be i left off here with uh, no dice um straight up was the next album uh from late 71 started out bad finger recording with george harrison producing george left the sessions to uh really get down and dirty with the concert for bangladesh and Todd Rundgren came in, uh, a relative newcomer. Yeah, it was '71, so yeah, it was only a few years removed from being in the band Naz, a great power pop band. So Todd Rundgren, and who uh, I, I've always heard is very difficult to work with. Todd Rundgren came in and basically took over for George Harrison, and straight up to me uh, was was their best Apple album. And uh, that would be my number two, uh, just virtually a perfect, uh, perfect album with the two hit singles, Day After Day and uh, Baby Blue. So what's yeah. your number two? My number two would be Wish You Were Here. Okay. Um, it's a perfect album. Like, there's just something about this band that is magical. Not with yeah. all the dysfunction, yeah. all the controversy, that there is something that is just perfect about this band. What they were capable of coming up with during some pretty difficult time, especially when Wish You Were Here was recorded. Yeah, because that was 1975. Now, Darren, is, is Wish You Were Here a better album than Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here? <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd go that far, but um, I, I know you love your Floyd. Oh my goodness! Uh, but Badfinger did had it first. Yeah. Uh, Badfinger had the album title "Wish You Were Here" before Pink Floyd did. Um, and Bad uh, little little side thing here. Um, Pink Floyd were not were weren't going to call the dark side of the moon the dark side of the moon because there was another band that had just done an album dark side of the moon the album didn't i forget who it was 
didn't do all, you know, didn't do all that well. So they felt, all right, the coast is clear to use the name we wanted, uh, the dark side of the moon. I would love to one day have the opportunity to talk to one of the guys in Pink Floyd and go, all right, when you chose the name, wish you were here. You had to know that Badfinger had done an album the year before, actually months before. Yeah, wasn't it? Because 75 is when Wish You Were Here came out, right? Yeah, the, the Pink Floyd Wish You Were Here. The Badfingers was in uh, late 74. Okay. And it was sort of the same thing that had happened with The Dark Side of the Moon. There was a band that used that title. and But then Pink Floyd ultimately decided, all right, they were going to change it. Uh, but they went back to it. But that wasn't the case with Wish You Were Here. Unfortunately, Wish You Were Here, as you know, was only like in stores for a couple of months. I, it's a it's a hard album to find it is very hard to find and that was because of all the legal stuff that was going on with warner brothers missing money and their manager stan polly who completely screwed them over and then some uh warner brothers with the lawsuits going around warners pulled wish you were here from the stores um after just i guess a matter of months the reviews were strong and the album was actually selling pretty well compared to the self-titled album and ass before that which didn't sell well yeah people were buying wish you were here and hearing how good it was and warners pulled it from the stores uh and then it didn't and i don't think it came back until you know years and years and years later when it came out on cd and you know is people got to that. now what was that? is it still in print to this day i think so it's it was it's been reissued on compact disc that and the Badfinger album that came before it the first Warner Brothers album they both came out on CD on at least two different occasions um, and I have it here I think yeah I mean I don't know if they're still available they probably are and hard to find on CD now and I actually don't think that it's terribly hard to find wish you were here on vinyl you've had trouble trying to i've never i don't even own a single bad finger album on vinyl yeah i think what happened with wish you were here though is that because it was yanked from the stores yeah uh, there might have been a lot of records that ended up rotting in warehouses and i don't think it's terribly hard to find i think it's a little tougher to track down the bad finger album yeah. that came before uh, I luckily have a couple of copies of both of them. Uh, they're all they were used. I don't think they're in immaculate condition, but uh, just to have them on vinyl uh, in my collection, you what know, because I've got all the others. Setup? I'm sorry. What do you have for a stereo setup? I have a half hooked up, if you could believe this, because uh, I'm okay with technology to a point, and I have. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I have a setup that's really not usable at the moment, but if you saw the equipment, you would definitely go to the phone and you would call the local hospital to have me committed because if you saw the gear that I've got and it's not properly hooked up, it's half. So a lot, I haven't spun a record in my house in years, you know, so I'm working off CDs on really big, high-end portable players and stuff threatening that I'm going to go back up there and get those speaker wires and all those connections and find where I'm putting the nine speakers that are in this set 
in my house. That was another thing when my wife saw me bringing nine speakers in the house. That I'm was sure. fun. <laughs> I'm sure it was. That was a fun time. <laughs> so. I'm sure she was like, Aaron, you've done it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have all the Bad Finger Records on vinyl, but uh, yeah, I don't think we should we hear. I've seen it a bunch of times. It depends if you're a, a picky person. If you're the type of person that you're all right with the, you know, fairly clean vinyl, but the cover could be beat up. Um, you can track those records down. I, I happen to be very fussy and, you know, I will pass over something that I want until I find a copy that I like. But uh, yeah, so that's my favorite. No, that's your favorite. No, wait. Your number two is Wish You Were Here. I'm all confused. Yes. Your number two was Wish You Were Here. My number two was Straight Up. What's your number one? Wish You Were Here. <laughs> Good choice. Reverse. Yeah. Well, can I guess you? Can I guess your number one? Straight up. There you go. This is my favorite album of 1971. Okay. Well, and, yeah. Ram is like you know, right here. Right. But because you know how much I love my Ram. Yeah. It's a top three McCartney album. Right. And, right. And if it isn't in your top three, we're gonna have a problem. Yeah, it's, it, it wasn't years ago, but I really, like a lot of people, I think, you needed, I don't for whatever reason, it needed time. And uh, and then Ram just kind of like, it's like my second favorite behind Band on the Run. It's uh, like your jokes. It's what? It's what? It's like your jokes. Which, which one? <laughs> So sometimes they you have to read them a couple of times to get them. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> hire a writer. Yeah, but yeah, straight up is uh, is is um, you know I don't know why I think that maybe uh, there might be a one or you know in weighing the two albums there's a you know maybe I feel like um, wish you were here was maybe that much more consistent than straight up. Yeah, um, but it's like I mean it's like one A and one B for me. But I've always felt that "Wish You Were Here" was a virtually perfect uh, rock album. That unfortunately, you know, even if I think even if I it stayed in the stores, I'd like to believe they would have had some they would have had some success with "Wish You Were Here." But you know, and I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, it had to be a single. It might have been just a chance. That sounds right. Uh, but even that, I know Bad the Bad Finger album did have a couple of singles, depending on what country you were in. Uh, but uh, you know, you know, in the case of Bad Finger, again, what happened was after Baby Blue was a hit for the general public. Right. Bad Finger dropped off the face of the earth for a couple of years. They lost their momentum. And they left Apple, and Apple was rotting, literally, at that point. They went to Warner Brothers, had a dreadful recording contract with Warner Brothers. Um, there was an overlap there. They had put out ass on the Apple album, on the Apple label, and Badfinger followed, literally, within a very short period of time. So nobody bought ass. Nobody knew Badfinger was out. Warner's never got behind them. Then all the you know, the legal problems. And Chris uh, Collins. 
produced Wish You Were Here. Are you familiar with the album Badfinger? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. That album, I think, is a victim of having been recorded immediately after S. Right. And they didn't quite have enough material for an album or would have preferred to take their time, but they couldn't. They were now backed into a corner of having to deliver to Warner Brothers, uh, coming off an album that seven people bought <laughs> in S. And uh, I, I think at that point, even, there was starting to become issues with money, finances missing, money missing the band, you know, having had a bunch of hit singles and now they're still living in the back of their cars, you know, not making any any money. Something's not right here. Oh, and we got to cut an album. Yeah. All right. I've got a song, you know, that kind of thing. I got one. All right. We'll make up the rest. And that was Badfinger, which was supposed to be called, I believe, for love or money or for love of money. Right. Which was their their reference to. You know, ass was called ass because the cover, the donkey was supposed to be them. Yeah. Walking away from Apple because they were being coaxed by that big carrot, luring them away. And then um, for love of money or of money um, uh, was kind of there. You know, here we are with the big major league Warner Brothers records because we need money. We want money. And for some reason, the title was just kind of pushed aside by the label and uh, the label put it out as Badfinger. Yeah. Now, moving on to songs. Yes, this is tough, but okay. I want you to quick fire them, and then I'm going to be mean and critique you. Okay. Um, I, uh, when I do these things, sometimes I want to try to avoid the easy ones, the easy picks, the hit singles or whatnot, but you can't do something like this and not mention, no matter what, come and get it. And I was going to eliminate Come and Get It because they didn't write it. That was going to be my way of taking that out of a, a top five because it was a McCartney composition. Yeah. No matter what, front and center, day after day, uh, another perfect pop. I guess, it would, I guess it's considered a ballad. It's a little... Uh, and, but then going obscure and um, the two medleys on Wish You Were Here. Uh, in the meantime, some other time, and the album finale, meanwhile, back at the ranch, and Should I Smoke, would be other two other tunes I'd pick. So that would give me, say, that let, let's not count, come and get it. So that's four. It's hard. Uh, I would, you know what, Midnight Caller from No Dice would be maybe my fifth one. We're for the Dark would be a runner up to that coming off the No Dice album, but um, uh, Midnight Caller. A, there's, a, there's a singer-songwriter, Tim Harden, um, who did a great version of Midnight Caller on uh, an early 70s album, I think Painted Head, um, that I loved playing on FUV, and he pretty much covered it note for note, so it kept that you know, but the Midnight Caller would be another one that I would pick. So that's my five, my five Badfinger songs. And I'm sure later I'll be thinking, I should have picked this, I should have picked this. I'm sure you'll be commenting on the YouTube section of this video. <laughs> adjusted top five. Right, adjusted <laughs> top five. 
Yeah. One year at WFUV, I had to submit. We, we submit our top albums every year. Uh, and mine, I think one year I referred to it as. Here are, you know, something like uh, here are the 25 albums that have made my top 10 for the year. Because I couldn't keep it short to 10. So I picked 25. It got a little heat from doing that because I messed up the website and the way the albums were picked. But it was my top 10. It has 25 albums in it, though. What year was that? Oh, I don't know. Years, years ago. All right, now you're on the spot. You're five. Okay. Be ready to critique me. So I also have, so my number one has to be Baby Blue. A no-brainer. Only, not in my top five, simply because something has to drop off. Um, Number two would be Day After Day. I have to have come and get it in the top three. Okay. But um, I would have to have the um, song Love Time in there, which is Joey's from Wish You Were Here. And yeah, yeah. The Back at the Ranch Should I Smoke, all perfect songs. Yeah, good picks. Very good picks. I actually forgot about uh, Love Time. And that's the thing with Badfinger. And I just wish more people knew this. There are gems on every album. Even the two, like, later reunion albums, Airwaves and Say No More. There's some great songs on those albums, and so few people know those records. Yeah, you know, this was a band that could, especially when they were at full strength, when Pete Ham was still alive, you know, when Tom Evans was was uh, was active in the band and, and, and obviously still alive, that they could um, really produce the goods. And also you had Mike Gibbons coming into his own as a writer. Yeah. And a vocalist, especially on Wish You Were Here. Uh, I think Mike wrote, I could be wrong about this, but I think Mike did write something that's on ass. Um, but all of the writing credits on ass are Badfinger. And there was some sort of, legal reason why that was everybody in the bank got credited with writing everything on ass but you know then it you know got a lot like what happened with the beatles and george harrison in time george developed and couldn't be kept quiet and mike gibbons was starting to uh you know yeah. mike gibbons wrote cowboy on ass that's right yeah and i'm gonna try to go back it's been a while since i've heard ass ass would be my runner-up for uh, favorite Badfinger albums. That would be my number three. I would agree. Yeah. You and I think alike. Arguably their hardest album. Yes. I think. And, and also, probably of the Apple and Warner Brothers albums, probably the most Joey-centric albums. Joey Mullen's got a strong presence on ass. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Joey for a moment. Um, he's really done well keeping the name alive. I don't mind that he uses it on the tour. Because, I mean, that's what they're here to see. They're here to see the guy that was in Badfinger. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I see a point, and I don't really have a problem with it. I think 
I think when he would go out on the road, um, you know, there was a couple of times. Um, well, if you backtrack to when they reunited after Pete Ham died, they broke up. Yeah. Uh, the legal issues hadn't been totally resolved. Uh, and one thing led to another that Joey and Tom Evans were back. Yeah. In a band that wasn't going to be Badfinger, but I think Electra Records was the new label. And they were like, hey, Badfinger, you'll sell more records than, you know, and if you called yourself, you know, Aunt Ethel's Brownies, <laughs> you know, Badfinger's going to sell more. So Airwaves became the comeback album. And then a few years later, Say No More. And Joey and Tom had the, the falling out where there was a period where there were two Badfingers after Say No More came out in 80, 80, you know, in 81, 82, 83. And if you do some looking around and you look at Tom's bad finger and Joey's bad finger, they had um, so a few interesting people in the lineup. Tony Kay, who was the original Yes keyboardist. Oh, and wow. came back to Came back to Yes in the 80s on the big 90125 and big generator. Tony Kay was the keyboard player in Badfinger in the early 80s. And when Joey and Tom had a falling out after Say No More and split into two separate bands, uh, Tony Kay was with, I forget which, which if it was Tom's Badfinger or Joey's, Donnie Dacus was uh, the replacement for the late Terry Kath when Terry Kath of Chicago died. Chicago hired Donnie Dacus, who was Chicago's guitarist for two albums. Donnie Dacus ended up in one of the Badfingers in the early 80s. And then, of course, when Tom died, that was the end of his Badfinger. And uh, Joey and, 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 and Mike Gibbons, for a brief period of time, reunited. Yeah. And that's when I met Joey in 87, when it was Joey, Mike Gibbons, and these three other guys in the group. And they were great live. I had no problem with that, but then in time, Mike Gibbons left, and unfortunately, he's passed as well. Um, How did he pass? Well, I'm sorry. How did he pass? Wasn't it cancer? I think it was, he died in his sleep, and I think it was I think it was a brain aneurysm. Oh wow! Um, unexpected. Yeah, completely unexpected. Um, he had been starting to put out the occasional solo album at that point. Uh, I don't know if he had a falling out with Joey because he had stopped playing drums in, in the bad finger that crossed into the early 90s. Uh, but that was when people really started to have take issue with Joey. And I, and I can understand it when he would uh, release the occasional CD of re-recorded versions of bad finger songs. Sometimes these, these CDs would come out as Badfinger releases or Joey Mullins' Badfinger. But as you pointed out, if he's going to go out there and play, Joey Mullins' Badfinger, I mean, there's worse things he could, could have called the group. And, you know, this is, this is, this is a Badfinger. It's Joey's band doing this material. You know, I know a lot of people don't like that he did that and has done that for so long but listen um and now he's not the only bad finger that's out there you know yeah bob jackson who um joined bad finger after wish you were here was done 
uh, and again, I apologize if I'm monopolizing, but after uh, Wish You Were Here came out, Pete Ham quit. Bob Jackson came in to play keyboards and to replace him as the singer. Very, very, we're talking, I think we're talking weeks. This period of time, Warner Brothers wanted nothing to do with a bad finger that didn't feature Pete Ham. And they, I think, were, would rather have Pete Ham on board as a solo act. Somehow, Pete went back. Uh, and it may not even have gotten much publicity that Pete had left. Uh, Pete went back, but they had hired Bob Jackson. So Bob stayed, and they briefly were a five-piece. And when Joey Molland quit, uh, right before Pete's suicide, there was a narrow window where it was Pete Ham, Tom Evans, Mike Gibbons, Bob Jackson. And that's the lineup that recorded what should have been the third Warner Brothers album, Head First. Right. Uh, and, and that album has since come out, I think like 20 years ago it came out, uh, in, in, in really rough, a rough mix of it, because it was never completed 100%. When Pete Ham committed suicide in 75, Head First went on the shelf and stayed there. I wonder if um, somebody will redo that and, you know, just mix it well enough. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I know it has to do with, you know, it's all legal. Who has the rights? Who can? Who can't? Who should? Who shouldn't? Should it have come out in the first place when it did come out uh, in 20, 2000, I think it was. I remember I was so excited when it came out because it did get a bit of uh, publicity the lost Badfinger album. It was supposed to come out in 75, was released in late 2000. Snapper Records was the label to put it out. And um, uh, I'm assuming long out of print and very hard to find. And excellent though, excellent album. And Bob Jackson played a big role in that album. Bob Jackson, that was my point. Three hours ago, I started with Bob Jackson. He fronts his own bad finger that's in the UK. Yeah. And stays in the UK. And if you Google Bob Jackson's bad finger, you'll see that, that there's this other band, um, this other bad finger that has basically stayed in the UK. And I have no clue what the relationship is like there with Joey and Bob Jackson or Ron Griffiths, who thankfully is still with us. Um, uh, who left right after Come and Get It was recorded, was fired, unfortunately. Um, you know, Ron has been involved. He's out there, you know, with demos that he's made available in very early recordings. Yeah, I've got to try to get in contact with him, do an interview. Yeah, he's, uh, he's every once in a while, you hear that he's out there. He's made some CDs available of demos. I've, 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 I, think, I think I have them all couple of them two or three two or three i think we've had a little email correspondence when i purchased them um and his angle is an interesting story because he got he got the pete best treatment he got thrown out of the band uh and it had something to do with the living conditions because they were living together the four members right ron griffiths was married um so it was it, it caused a lot of tension and 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 ron got the boot and soon after Joey Molland joined. Yeah. So Darren, I think this about wraps up Badfinger talk. Um, do you want us 
tell us where we can find you and where how we can contact you? Yes, you can. You could find me uh, underneath this desk here. Uh, I'm at WFUV New York City. If you want to shoot me an email, it's my name, Darren DeVivo. D-E-N. What was that? I said, make sure you spell it right. Yes, because there's a bunch of different ways. And then, of course, you get the Hey, D, D, D. And your middle name is D, 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 D. Hey, you can make all kinds of funny names up. Uh, you know, I was constantly getting in fights in high school over my DDD initials. So, and then, of course, hey, are you related to Danny DeVito? <laughs> no, idiot. He's DeVito. I'm DeVivo. D A R R E N D E V I V O at WFUV.org. I have two Facebook pages. Uh, so you can, uh, one of them is a, you know, click follow, the other send me a friend request. Um, and, uh, and again, if you want to tune in to WFUV, I can be heard um, Monday through Thursday night starting at 10 uh, and 10 p.m. to midnight and Saturdays 1 to 4 um, uh, on 90.7 FM in the, H in the New York City area and also online WFUV.org and our app, which you can download. Thank you, and if you want to send me an email, Beatles Radio Show at iCloud.com or Solo Beatles Podcast at gmail.com. I suppose you could find me at, I don't know, look at my website. It, it doesn't even have a custom domain. Darren, do you have a website? Uh, yes, uh, I have the, I have, and I actually, while you say this, I want to check to make sure that we do have DarrenDeVivo.com. Uh, what do you, how would you say it? Under control. Um, and I have been threatening for a, oh, probably close to 20 years now to kind of do something with this. Uh, yeah, actually it, yeah. You have reached the site of Darren DeVivo midday host of 90.7 FM in New York city. We're working on this site promise to have more in the future. And it actually has an email address that's not mine. Yeah, that, that isn't yours, isn't it? I, I, that's a Yahoo account. And I'm wondering if my wife set that up as an additional email specifically for this website that I've never done a damn thing with. But I will one day. I, um, I swear I'm going to set the website up. I'm going to hook up my stereo. All nine speakers all over the house. And I'm going to play Badfingers Wish You Were Here and I'm going to wipe out everybody that lives in Westchester County within a 10-mile radius of me. And your wife's going to not be happy. She, she's always, with me, she's never happy. It's I'm like, always in trouble. Is it like dealing with an adult-sized four-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> I, I sleep with Alice the dog. Oh, you know, God. I'm always in trouble. So me and Alice, it's like Alice, move over. Oh. Well, Darren, thank you for coming. And this has been a wrap on I Know, I Know.